Welcome to uh, Diet Sports Behind the Pump, episode five. Uh, I'm Jason. I'm Brody. And uh, Brody, we're we're five deep now into our into episode. I know. Here. I was uh, having a conversation with my dad today, and just kind of talking about how we're five in. This is our fifth one, and off we're rolling. We're, we're we are rolling. We're we're rolling with the uh, with the podcast. Um, so. Uh, last, uh, last podcast, we, uh, we talked a little bit about, uh, what was going on, uh, in the diabetes world and, um, a little bit of update on Max Domi. He finally hit the ice at the beginning of last week, um, with the Montreal Canadiens, uh, good on Max. Um, you know, they, they found, uh, uh, him and his doctors and the team found a safe way for him to, uh, get back on the ice and get with his team and, and contribute to the, uh, uh, the upcoming, uh, what do we call it? The Stanley Cup bubble, bu- bubble championship, but no bubble hockey with uh, bubble hockey is appropriate. <laughs> bubble hockey, we'll go, we'll go with that. Uh, the bubble hockey championships. Um, so yeah, so that was that was great on Max. Uh, another uh, big news that we we come out of the uh, out of the U.S. today or uh, yesterday was uh, uh, the president uh, signing executive order um, opening up the competition for insulin. Uh, which will drive the price of insulin down for all our friends with type one diabetes uh, in the U S um, which I think was a great move. And, you know, I think it was very uh, well-deserved about time. Uh, you know, you know, the price of insulin has been insane down there. I know I've got a couple of friends down there with type one uh, that would done work through, through diasport that uh, with type one diabetes that, that, you know, they, they have their plans that pay for it, but uh, at least uh, you know it's it, it'll bring the price down and something that's definitely 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 needed down there anyway. Mm-hmm. What's uh, what, what do you think about that, Brody? Well, yeah, no, I it's not fair to um, take away an opportunity to buy potentially the opportunity to buy a drug that. People like myself and Curtis and our guest today, Matt, um, need in order to to live. And I personally think it should be free. I hundred percent agree. And yeah, but I think uh, in Canada, I think we're moving towards that direction. Uh, we're it's pretty well subsidized up here in the north. Um, United States, it's a little bit different situation. However, uh, with the news of um, that came out yesterday with uh, opening up the competition for insulin. I think it's a good um, direction and it's uh, better than what it was. So I think you got to look at the bright side and with that situation for sure. Absolutely. Um, so uh, with that, uh, I'd like to introduce our guest this week. Uh, Matt Silvio has uh, come to us from all the way from Dallas, Texas. Uh, Matt's a triathlete. Uh, you can find him on Instagram at Ironman's underscore and underscore insulin. Um, thanks, Matt, for joining us this week on the podcast. Uh, appreciate you taking the time to uh, uh, to come talk with us. Glad to be here. Thanks, guys. So we'll start with uh, you know every question. I guess what we what's been going on. Uh, uh, what have you been up to during the pandemic and, and how, how's COVID changed everything for you? 
Yeah. Um, so for me, it hasn't, I mean, it's only changed things because uh, I had to work from home for about three months. Right. But other than that, I mean, nothing really has changed. Um, all my races were canceled this year. So that's a, that's a change, but that's one day um, yeah. or, you know, single days out of the year. But as far as like how COVID has changed things, I mean, definitely has, uh, has affected life, but it's, you know, one of those things you just kind of roll with the punches and you adapt to it. And oddly enough, it seems that the new normal now is we don't go out to eat as much and <laughs> save right. a lot of money. So that's kind of good. <laughs> yeah. Hey, quick question before we jump into our first question, responding to having your racing canceled, how has that affected your training, your, your motivation? Because how do you set goals? How do you get yeah. up? do a half marathon on a Sunday. What's right. Cause yeah. that's one of your questions, the questions deep, deeper in, but I'll, what is your why? Right. Especially now with everything changed. Yeah. So, um, interestingly enough, I'm not a competitive person, uh, outside. It's a lot of internal competition with myself. So, um, whereas I think a lot of people race cause they want to, they might want to win or, you know, there's a cash prize or they want to get a medal. Like that's not me at all. Um, how I started into this was, um, it's kind of a long story, but, um, about five to five years ago now I was, uh, we had our daughter and she was about six months old and I was about 80 pounds overweight and I was just miserable. And, um, my wife, we talked about trying to get me just like a health coach and got, got a health coach, dropped a bunch of weight, um, where I actually started to weigh out my food and really track what I was eating. Um, and, uh, from there, I started running as I was trying to lose weight. And I had hated running ever since, you know, before. But during that transformation, I just kind of got into it. I was like, oh, it's not too bad. Um, probably because I see, saw it as an end to a means, you know. So um, I got into that and I signed up for a half marathon. So I was like, I run eight miles, you know, every other day. I could probably finish 13. Did my first half marathon and then was like, oh, that was awesome. You know, and I was hurting for you know, probably about a week straight and told my wife I could never do a marathon. And then three weeks later, signed up for my first marathon. <laughs> and then I just kind of got into it from there. Um, I don't, I don't, I don't know why, why running, but it just, it was something that just kind of stuck with me. It was easy to do. You could do it anywhere sort of thing. Um, but really deep down inside, um, the why is really my kids. We have two kids now, but um, I always wanted to be able to play with my kids whenever they were young and then older and um a lot of my family um wasn't the healthiest and you kind of see that you know how they they sort of went downhill with age and I didn't want to be like that I wanted to be running marathons with my kids whenever I was you know in my 60s <laughs> yeah. so really they're they're a huge motivator for me and then um the races are just something they're just a notch on my belt like I like to do things so it's just something to look forward to but I, I actually am more in love with the process than I am the outcome. Um, I enjoy the training and the grueling and all of that. Um, just because you can be great for, you know, an hour or two, you know, that can be a random fluke, but to get up every day and train is the real challenge. And um, for me, that's what I enjoy. It's, you know, things that I post a lot are just the mental, mental fitness is just as important as, as physical fitness. And that's what, that's what I really like is testing myself every day to wake up at 4 a.m. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, it's it's called being addicted to the grind. I I I can relate. It's fun because it's it's um 
that's a really it's it's almost that kind of motivation it, a lot of athletes um great athletes are able to tap into that even when um they do have a s- specific goal is tapping into that internal um battle and and having that relationship and growing that relationship of suffering and pain in order to succeed um for whatever two hours at at game time and it's interesting that you don't even care about game time you like the the grind itself which is that's unique for sure for sure for sure uh so uh i know we touched on this uh before um you know before we get on that but uh tell us about your diagnosis um what happened and your your early early stages at uh, how you manage your type 1 diabetes and you said you're around you're in your mid-teens um i know we've had a had a couple people on already um you know we had one that uh one of our guests who was diagnosed when they're in their mid-20s and uh you know like like brody and, and curtis not they were they're diagnosed in their early teens so um uh, yeah just tell us about uh you know your diagnosis your story and and how you were manage how you're managing it sure so um like we had talked about, I'm not one for diversaries or keeping track of dates related to the illness or anything like that. Um, I don't, I honestly don't think twice about it. It's just, you know, it, it's funny and I'll, I'll tell you in the story, but I just kind of deal with things as they come along. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think, I think I was about 16. Um, I think it was 2000, like August or October of 2000 is when I got diagnosed. Either way, I've had it for um, a really long time. Mm-hmm. Um, but how I first got diagnosed, I was playing uh, football at the time, um, just because that's what you did in my high school. So I was playing football, it was first string, um, we were in summer camp. Um, and just because of the nature of the beast, everybody shares water bottles and one kid got diagnosed with mono. And I started to feel real tired and lethargic and was like, Oh, I got it. And yeah. so uh, I went to the doctor and they did whatever test they did and they came back negative. And the doctor was like, well, it's probably because you're doing three a days. Um, you know, just try to take it easy and, you know, get back out there. And, you know, I was, I just kind of took that for what it was. And, uh, about a month later, um, I was still having the same symptoms and I just felt terrible and told, told my mom at the time, I was like, I just, there's something wrong. Like I have to have mono. I was so tired. And, um, I was a first string player, you know, playing like a third string player. They hadn't sort of demoted me yet, but like everybody was like, there's something wrong with Matt. And so went back to the doctor, came back, um, tested for mono, came back negative. And so just kind of perplexed. And uh, the doctor, pediatrician at the time, so it's, you know, under 18, he was like, well, I'm going to do a test. I don't think it is, but we need to rule it out. And um, basically it was the urine test. And you know, after that day, you know, I peed in the cup, he tested it and was, you know, basically came back with ketones. And I uh, was like, you have, ty- you have type one diabetes. And the- <laughs> I'll never forget this because we were sitting in his office and I was on the table and uh, my mom's face was just sort of blank ghost, ghost yeah. face. I'm sure you can relate Jason. Right. But yeah. Yeah. for me, I just kind of looked at him and I was like, well, what does that mean? Like, am I going to die sooner? And he kind of to me was like, you know, yeah, you might die a little sooner depending on complications. And I just continued to ask him a series of questions on, you know, how do you management? Do I have to change this, that, and the other thing? And uh, I, I found that I learned afterwards that the doctor was like, yeah, Matt's handled this better than any, like anybody has ever handled, like with the questioning. 
Mm-hmm. And he said that, you know, people go into denial on this and that. And like, that's just sort of the way I am. It's okay. Just tell me what I need to do. Um, so I went into the hospital, got admitted for, I think it was for a week or so, basically vacation on the disease and how to give myself shots and everything. And I mean, at first it was not, I wouldn't say that it was bad, but I didn't take it as seriously as I should have in the sense of like, I'm, they wanted me to record my blood glucose. This is before CGMs and all the electronics, right? We were keeping paper journals and I honestly would go to my endo at the time and made up numbers because I didn't feel like recording them. And he would kind of come to me and be like, these numbers don't make sense. And, you know, I kind of BS through it and everything. Um, but I, I took relatively good care of myself um, then, I think. Um, definitely could have been better. But I got on a pump, I think it was two years after MDIs. Um, and I likened to that way more than injections just because of having that control. Like not that I'm a control freak, but it's just nice to be able to have that flexibility. Um, and then, um, yeah, I mean, that was pretty much how I got diagnosed and through experiences later on, I became more and more serious about the disease where I actually did have a seizure. I had one seizure in my life and I had never had anything like that since. <laughs> yeah. Was that brought on from uh, severe low? Yeah, so um, I was in college at the time. Um, I want to say it was my second year in college uh, in undergrad. And at the time, it would be one of those things where I would just guess at carbs and never really took it seriously. And uh, we went home. It was in the fall, and my mom would always make this apple cake. Um, so, you know, pretty sweet. And I was just pumping myself so full of insulin because when you went home from college with your mom, you know, cooking or Italian, you just eat everything. So never really – I never yeah, yeah. really uh, – yeah, I never really kept track of things. And I had a, my girlfriend with me at the time. And uh, so what we think had happened is I was probably low going into the apple cake and then pumped myself up with more of just me guessing it. And then as I was sleeping, I had a seizure and mm-hmm. my girlfriend like woke me up or sorry, went downstairs because we were just staying at my folks place and woke up uh, my mom. And yeah, I woke up the next morning in the hospital. Um, and it was weird because I had fleeting memories of this, the incident, the seizure, like I'll never forget the noise I was making. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, like it's just certain weird blips of things. And actually one of my friends was a, the, one of the first responders um, from, you know, high school and everything. But yeah, it was, it was brought on by a severe low. And, and honestly, ever since that night, I had taken much more seriously my uh, blood glucose and how I treated things. If yeah, it only takes one, eh? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. No, I, it's, it can be scary. Yeah, I know, Curtis, uh, I, was, I was telling Brody earlier that, uh, you know, Curtis had a severe low on the ice Wednesday, Wednesday night where he was playing, and um, he, he's got a Dexcom that I can see everything. And, uh, uh, but in the dressing room, the his cell phone cuts out so i don't it doesn't pop back on to about 10 minutes into the ice time and when it did i yeah. noticed that he was he was already dropping and uh you know of course with the cgms you got the the, the leg time so i already knew that he yeah. was low right so just getting him off the ice and and by the time he come over and, and we did a manual check and he was 2.7 and and he was definitely not feeling f- feeling himself so um yeah that uh uh, what is that in uh the yeah it's a different they're different yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, yeah i keep forgetting we got different uh units uh, of measurement um so yeah. you're gonna have to help me out on that one it's under a hundred yeah oh okay 
So what's, yeah, what's low for you? That's a very interesting question. So I think for, I think for kids, yeah. um, they tend to run higher with blood glucose versus adults, right? So I've been at the point where I was 18 um, in US, whatever that is. I, I don't know what that is in uh, the metric units, but I was 18 and I was mowing the lawn. So I can get pretty low. Like I was goofy, but I was still cognizant and able to carry on a conversation. Yeah. Um, for whatever reason, I'm able to get very, very low um, in my blood glucose to still be able to retain, you know, cognition and everything. So I feel that usually around like 60, you know, 45 is like, I'm like, okay. And then, yeah, like I said, I've been, I've been as low as like 18. Like I remember doing the manual injection. My wife just looked at me and she goes, you need to eat something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You start acting all goofy and whatnot. Yeah, I would be 48 in your units. Okay, yeah. I love the. Yeah, I think that's fairly, <laughs> that's fairly fairly low um, for a kid, I believe. <laughs> yeah. So, um, what they tried to, what they've been telling us uh, for kids up here is, um, I'll plug that in. Seven point five is what they're they're uh, rolling, what they're trying to shoot for. Um, which is 135. Okay. Yeah. So, um, you know, his, his last A1C, we've actually got it down to 6.5. So it's, it's, it's pretty, he's pretty That's good. good. Yeah. He's, he's, he's yeah. pretty good. So he's never been, I think the highest we've had was like 7.2. So yeah, mm -hmm. he's, been, he's, he's been doing really good in the two years since he's been diagnosed uh, and controlling his blood sugar. So that's really good. Absolutely. Yeah. When did um, you? Sorry. Yeah, go ahead, Brody. Oh, go ahead. I'm curious. When when did you switch to a plant based diet? Because I know you're plant based. Yeah. So um, that's interesting. So uh, we've been vegan now for about three years. Uh, it was three years in March, and uh, how we started along that journey. So I, I had mentioned that I got sort of that health and nutrition coach um, to lose the weight and just to try to get generally healthier. And in working with that guy. Um, Basically, what he had taught me is, you know, you need to track what you put inside your body, which seems like it made sense. But um, you'd be surprised at how many grams of fat you eat without tracking it. Um, so that's why I started weighing my food out and really tracking the really it was just macronutrient tracking. Um, and so I had been doing that. And I actually found that my diabetes control had gotten better because now I was measuring every single thing out. So I knew my carbohydrate count. Um, and I, like I said, I still do it to this day. It doesn't impede anything. It's, it, you know, you add like five seconds onto meal preparation, um, but you get so much benefit out of that. Like I can count my carbs to a T and I know exactly where it's going to put me. Um, but we had, I had worked with him for a year and then I had a coworker of mine actually who was plant-based and I didn't know it at the time. It's interesting. He came to me and was like, wow, you're really like Spartan about your diet. And he's like, have you ever you ever thought about going to a plant-based diet? And I was like, no, like, you know, at the time I was, you know, kind of in bodybuilding still, just starting to get endurance. And I was like, I need the protein from animal products. And he's like, well, you, you might not like, here's, here's some information. And he approached me about it through, um, actually through the diabetes, uh, um, portal, if you want to call it that. So turned me on to a few videos that, um, nutritionfacts.org had produced, which is, a team of researchers, um, basically nutritionalists, uh, uh, MDs, all sorts of people run this website um, that's a nonprofit, but basically publishing uh, 
basically the benefits of uh, uh, a plant-based diet and more or less like the nutritional side of things. So, you know, I think most people have heard that food is that medicine quote, but like they really are looking into that and how to treat everything from diabetes to uh, heart disease and high blood pressure. So he showed me a few videos that actually made a lot of sense to me about the causes of insulin resistance in the human body. And it laid out everything from the symptoms, which would be high blood glucose, um, and then also the mechanism, which I'm a scientist by training. I'm a geochemist. Um, I have my master's in geochemistry. And I read scientific papers for fun. And after reading through the literature, I was like, holy crap, like, this is amazing because nobody's ever explained to me or like the real root cause of insulin resistance. So after digging through these videos and learning about like the several case studies of people that have had success with it, I told my wife, I was like, well, listen, we've, we're doing a lot of primarily plant-based just to hit our low carb counts. Cause at the time I was eating very low carbohydrates. I said, why don't we just try vegan for a month and see what happens. And um, what's interesting is we, we decided to try it. Um, and, Right before it was a Friday when we decided to do it, and we were going to Oklahoma for the weekend, actually to Broken Bow, where I was just at, mm-hmm. um, just for like a family getaway. And um, right before we left, we went to a local barbecue spot called Hard Aid, which is just all pit, open pit barbecue in Texas. So, animal products, like really fatty cuts of meat and everything. And so, I went there, we ate there, and my blood sugar would not come down the entire weekend. Like, I could not get it down, no matter how much insulin I pumped. And Thinking back on these videos that my coworker had sent me, one of the main causes is uh, dietary fat, and then it's uh, basically myocardial fat, so fat within your blood or within your muscle tissues that are causing insulin resistance. And I was like, "Holy crap! Like, I am a, I am the case study. Like, I am the cause of insulin resistance right now." And I made that link, and we came back and we went vegan uh, that next week. And then I had never had such great blood glucose control. I was like, "Holy crap! What is happening?" Yeah. So um, I would say I was plant-based for two days and then I went vegan because I started watching all of the animal uh, documentaries and was like, I can't do this. I've never been a hunter, never done anything like that. Um, not like your typical Texas and sort of thing. Like I, I just couldn't do it. And I was like, if, if I can't kill my own animals and, you know, process them, I shouldn't be eating them. Um, especially given what I just found out with these health benefits. And so, um, so I watched all of those and then I watched, uh, um, uh, forks over knives, which actually featured rich roll, which I don't know if you guys know who he is, but he's like my man crush as far as like the plant-based world goes. He's actually who inspired me to go into endurance sports sort of like full time. And I, uh, I, I decided after, so I, I watched the documentary that week decided I'm going to do an Ironman. Didn't know how to swim. I had no clue. I was like, I'm doing this. I bought his book, read through it. It was like, I'm totally doing an Ironman and then signed up for it three months later before I even know how to swim. <laughs> so it's yeah. kind of a long, long answer, but that's how we found the plant-based diet. And yeah. yeah, we've been plant-based for three years. That's, and, that's awesome. and I know reading on your website, your insulin consumption, your daily ins- insulin consumption dropped significantly. Yeah, so my, my well, I would say, my insulin sensitivity rose. So when I was right. eating, I know, I, and I know exactly how many carbs I was eating. So I tracked it. Right. So I was eating 125 grams of carbohydrates a day um, as an omnivore. And then um, I was taking about like 35 units of insulin a day, um, total bolus and basal. And then right now, even 
Um, I'll take maybe 45 to 55, depending on how much fat I incorporate in my diet. And I eat about 700 grams of carbohydrates. Um, and this is everything from, uh, you know, whole grains to fruits. Like I have a mango every single day, berries, bananas, everything like that. And, you know, when you think about that, it's almost a six and a half fold increase in carbohydrates, but, you know, maybe like, you know, 10% of insulin increase um, mm-hmm. on certain days. So because of, because of the less fat percentage in your diet. Yeah. So it's a, a lot of it, it's basically how, how, what my diet is, is that's really controlling that. And there's, there's tons of documentation on it. They actually just published another study showing um, the, be- the benefits of a, a plant-based lifestyle over a, a you know, typical omnivor- omnivorous or and ketogenic lifestyle. Um, mm-hmm. It's just making it rounds. And if you guys have ever heard of Mastering Diabetes, um, yep. Cyrus and Robbie, like yep. buy their book and read it because they have endless resources in that. Um, it's amazing. Somewhere, somewhere around here. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you, you could just, you just find all the scientific literature in there and they show it that, you know, from a low carb to a plant-based lifestyle. So, and for me, like I said, identifying that mechanism is key. Um, cause I don't run well on anecdotes. I want hard data. Right. How quick was the change? How was it, did it take a week or did, as soon as you started eating your a plant-based diet, your sensitivity went down like that, or was it kind of gradual as you, um, progressed into the diet? Yeah. I mean, it's, it it was, you know, because I think it was so severely, I was so severely insensitive that weekend because of what I had eaten. Yeah. I noticed a steep drop off within days, but you know, reading that since that's just me, I mean, it's, it's, like I said, it's kind of a convoluted data set, but if you look at the people that are in Cyrus and Robbie's book and the case studies of that, and even the scientific papers, it can be weeks, like two, within two weeks, you can see an increase in insulin sensitivity in both type one and type two diabetics. Um, and so it's pretty rapid how it occurs. And for me, like I'm hyperactive, right? So I will process through my energy stores fairly quickly. So and I probably saw it maybe a little bit sooner than most people would. Yeah, that's wicked. So how, how many competitions do you tend to do during the year? During a one, one year? Um, it depends, honestly. Um, I like to do one a quarter um, just to have those sort of benchmarks and to test yourself. So um, the last real big one that I had done was World's Toughest Mudder, which was a, it was actually a part of a team of five type one diabetics, which was pretty bad. But um, it was a 24-hour obstacle course race um, where it was five five-mile loop. 20 obstacles you just did it for 24 straight hours um and that was the real big last competition that i had done and um i had done another strength-based competition um which is high rocks which it's just up and coming in the states um i don't know if they even have any canada um events in canada but it was more of like a strength like functional fitness thing so like sled pushes and you know lunges also like rowing skiing stuff like that yeah but um i i do i like i enjoy triathlon but i do pretty much any sort of endurance type based events, right? Anything that hurts, I kind of do. <laughs> nice. You said your uh, coaches are Canadian, eh? Yeah. So, uh, Faye Stenning and Jess O'Connell. So Faye is a professional OCR athlete for Spartan. Um, and then Jess is actually a, an Olympian. Um, so she runs the 5k for team Canada. Oh, nice. How did, how did you meet him? So honestly, I, uh, so I had done World's Toughest Mudder and I wanted to basically do better. I wanted to do it again because I wasn't happy with my performance, um, which was my own fault. So 
I tend to do more versus less. And I had just done Ironman and then another competition right after that. And then right in the world stuff is smutter. So just no rest for my body. And so I was like, well, if I'm going to get better at this OCR thing, I should probably have a coach um, because it is a strength and endurance marriage with it. And um, I had no grip strength because in triathlon, you don't need strength in your upper body at all. Right. So I had lost a lot of that. And so I wanted, um, I wanted somebody to help me gain that strength without getting bulk because that just limits your mobility and it really hurts you on these uh, obstacle course events. So I honestly just Googled people and I emailed three individuals and one of them got back to me and it was uh, Faye, you know, just they work together, but Faye got back to me and they, I like their style because they do monthly coaching calls with you. Um, so I actually talked to them on the phone and, even during COVID, they've done sort of like Zoom calls, which is really neat. Like it's, it's hard to find coaches like that in the virtual world. Like a lot of them just send out things and you don't really actually have FaceTime. So, but I found them just kind of by luck of the draw. And I, I really enjoy working with both of them. And they're Canadian. They are Canadian. Yeah, they're actually on the West Coast. I think they're from both from the West Coast. I think they're from Calgary. Calgary. Okay. Nice. Nice. So you, I, well, we, we talked about um, uh, you had a seizure in college. Have you had any, any scary incidents, uh, low blood sugar wise, while training or in competition? No. So um, I really haven't, man. So when I was doing Ironman, like I, I, am, I tend to be, I think, lower than the average person or I enjoy operating in that range. I don't like to be high. Um, and it, I don't necessarily like have shakes and the, you know, disorientation. I think that most people feel low whenever they're like in 75. Um, but that's like my prime, like optimal range is like 75 to 90. Um, but I, I always have goo, like the goo energy gels on me. Like, and I mean, always like if I go to the store, if I'm at work, like there's always one in my pocket. So I'm always prepared for it. And since I, I have a CGM um, and the Omnipod, so I actually loop. I don't know if you guys loop but um, I always know what my blood glucose is or where it's trending. So I, I tend to be fairly prepared. And when I go for a long run, I keep, you know, five goos on me just in case um, anything happens. So I've never, I've never gone low during an event where I was actually afraid of having an issue, um, like a low event, like a seizure or anything like that. It's never really been an issue. Yeah. I think looping's just starting to, uh, gain traction up here. I know there's, uh, I'm involved with one of the Facebook groups uh, um, for looping. Um, I know my son, he's on the tandem, um, uh, the, the tandem pump with the, uh, with the Dexcom, um, which is close. I guess it's close. It's semi, semi-closed, uh, semi-closed loop is what they call it. Um, we haven't had, yeah, I've heard a lot. Yeah, we haven't had approval yet because uh, it's supposed to. We've got the basal IQ, so it'll, it it shuts his insulin off if you go low, um, but it, but it doesn't increase his insulin if he's starting to go high. Um, we we haven't got the control IQ yet. Um, our our health system up here, as good as it is, it uh, it does have its follies and it takes a long time. Um, I think you guys are coming out with the Dexcom seven, and we just got approval for the Dexcom six, so <laughs> we got to wait a little bit yet, but. Uh, um, no, it's, uh, it's, like I said, we've, we've gone to the tandem pump and it's been, it's been awesome. Uh, yeah. So I talked to, at a GDRF event, um, in, uh, when was that? I think it was in March. Um, I was talking to the folks from Omnipod and Dexcom was there as well. And I was asking, I've been trying, I've been waiting for the closed loop Omnipod to come out 
um, because that interests me, right? Especially for working out, like, because, you know, when you do endurance events or like running, like you go low, your body just becomes more efficient at metabolizing that insulin. So I've always been interested in that because I just, I like even like reaching back and getting my phone to have to do something or the PDM is just a pain. So they said that the, their horizon system, I think it's called, um, is going to be coming out later on this year. I don't know if COVID has disrupted that, but basically it's a closed loop system where they work with, uh, I think it works with Dexcom. Yeah. Yeah, I think most of the pumps uh, are going to be working with closely with the Dexcom, obviously, except for Metatronic, which I know Brody's on uh, uh, with the Guardian. Um, but yeah, it's it's definitely, uh, um, from what I understand, uh, when the T-Slim and uh, the Control IQ comes out, um, apparently it's really, really close to a closed-loop system. Um, they're getting Yeah, I've had a lot of friends that... Fantastic results, apparently, uh, off of it, yep. so. Yeah, I have friends that aren't on the Omnipod that have the um, T-Slim with Control IQ, and they love it. Yeah. I think it's just, you know, it's diff- different flavors for different people, whatever works for you. But, Absolutely. you know, to me, the key is getting that uh, Dexcom or the CGM, and then the pump to get, like, even if they're not looped together, like, just having both of those things is incredibly helpful for control. Yeah, that was, uh, we were on the Dexcom uh, three weeks after he was diagnosed, uh, and then it was... Uh, Twelve weeks before we got on a pump, so we started. We started with the Omnipod, um, and we we had it for about a year and a half, and we found that it was um, uh, it was good. But uh, um, with the Control IQ or the Basal IQ, we wanted to go with the T Slim, so we switched, and we were getting a lot better control out of the out of the T Slim. So, um, and he liked the fact that he could disconnect it whenever he wants and just. Mm-hmm. go run right so yeah awesome yeah awesome oh, so cool. can you have done for questions yeah can, can you take us through um uh, a typical um your typical prep for prepping for competition sure um so i mean a lot of i mean aside from the physical aspects, right. It just, it just kind of depends on what I'm doing. If I'm doing a triathlon or a running race or an OCR, like obviously there's different physical things for that. But as far as what, you know, I do from a diabetes perspective, there's, I mean, it's a lot of just, you know, how long am I going to be out there for man event? Obviously I need tons of nutrition because that's a, you know, at least a 12 hour day, um, just being active and thinking about, what do my big rates need to be um, for that? Because, you know, once you're five hours into an event, like you're just incredibly efficient at metabolizing glucose and you're super insulin sensitive. So you kind of bump down those basal rates. And a lot of that is trial and error. Um, you know, you, when training for like an event, like Ironman, I'll have a seven hour bike ride. You have, so you have a lot of time to figure out what your rates are. Right. Right. Um, but it, a lot, yeah, a lot of it is, you know, you, even if you're not diabetic, you want to train like you're racing, especially if you're diabetic, you want to train like you're racing because you need to know how your body's going to respond to things. And one thing that um, I'll say is have plenty of um, fast acting glucose. I use goo just because it's easy. Amazon gets you there in two days. They taste amazing. Um, So, and they have a little bit of a caffeine kick in there. If you wanted to, they do make decaffeinated ones, but those things are um, liquid gold whenever it comes to treating lows or even just faster energy. Um, and then um, all, they're also vegan, so they work for me. <laughs> Other things aren't like honey stinger waffles that people will use. Um, but uh, 
the one thing that I would recommend is hydration and not only water, but electrolytes. Those I never even knew about those until training for endurance events and being from Texas. It's kind of funny because it's, you know, like heat index of like 108 and it's 90% humidity. Um, having those electrolytes, not only does that help your body function and get nutrition into your cells, uh, but it actually helps your blood glucose levels remain stable um, because if you get dehydrated and your blood glucose tends to be, tends to run higher. So supersaturation of glucose in your blood. Um, so that's extremely important to me. So knowing how much water I have, how much electrolytes, um, where the water state at for a course, most courses you'll get a map of where things are so you can plan it out that way. Um, so a lot of it is you know, figuring out how long you're gonna be out there for what type of nutrition you need, if you need it, 5K, I don't need it. Um, but, and then also how is your body gonna react to it, both food and the blood glucose, you know, are you gonna go low or are you gonna go higher? I know for me, when I swim, my blood glucose actually goes up. Um, when I bike, it kind of remains steady. And when I run, it plummets. So those are three different activities in an event that's one event. So you have to know how the body's gonna react. So like I said, it's really, training like you're racing is a key to it all um and then there's you know different events like an ocr so you have this mix of strength and endurance these weird bouts of strength where sometimes you can rope glycogen from your muscle and then you're going to ramp up your glucose um and it's going to plummet because you're running to the next level so a lot of it it's hard to like pick them down but it's a it's a lot of just preparation knowing the event knowing where things are located and then just sort of preparing for it on the back mm -hmm. end do you have a go-to breakfast? I do. So um, I usually change it annually, as weird as that is. It's not on purpose, but it just tends to work out that way. Um, for a while, it was pancakes. Like <laughs> I would power, eat three power cakes. Yeah, yeah. So I would do, I, I mean, we, we tend to be um, more whole food than like vegan, if that makes sense to people yeah. who know what that means. But so I do everything. I even make my own oat flour, just get oats and blend them up. So uh but right now it's a basically overnight oats and that's just for convenience. So I tend to do uh, about 25 grams of oats and then I'll put in like maca root powder, some moringa, like just a whole bunch of like superfood things, goji berries. Um, I found out about sea buckthorn berries. I don't know if you guys have heard of it, but it's a superfood. It has tons of vitamin A and C and craziness in it. Um, it tastes terrible, but I'm the kind of guy that I'll eat, I'll eat like, foul stuff just to be healthy <laughs> um, i can relate what's it called sea buck sea buckthorn berries sea buckthorn berries so they sell it a lot in uh oils and then as teas but i actually eat the berries in my overnight oats um because i also will throw in like blackberries blueberries bananas and dates um a lot of diabetics are afraid of dates and they're like the best thing in the world because not only do they have you know, energy is in sugar, but they have the fiber and tons of potassium and magnesium for cramping and stuff. So they're awesome. Mm -hmm. Have you eaten uh, golden berries? I haven't eaten. I've seen them before. I just yeah. haven't made my way over to them yet. Yeah, I'm a, my go-to is golden berries and goji berries. In the yeah, oak. I like gojis. Yeah, gojis are good. Real good. Yeah. Chia, chia seeds. Hemp hearts, too. I don't do hemp part, so I would actually switch between those and chia. So I'll add a little bit of flax and a little bit of chia um, into my oats too. And then I put uh, five grams of cocoa powder. Um, so unsweetened, just the raw, you know, cocoa powder in there. And that's also a superfood and antioxidant and stuff. But yeah, I like, I like chia. Um, 
for several reasons. So it's a great source of fat. Um, and it's also great for digestion, which I don't know that most people think about, but it helps kind of, it's not, a, it's not an offensive cleaning you out, but it helps keeps things clean in your, in your uh, intestines. So it's really good for that. Um, and with that comes nutrient absorption. Mm -hmm. And post-workout, what do you eat? Um, that's well, so that's actually my post-workout. I don't, I train fasted typically. Oh, okay. So, do, you, do, you yeah. race, do you race fasted as well? Let's say no. you're doing Ironman, you're going to eat food. Yeah. So what I'll do is I'll eat that post-workout pre and I'll tend to eat it about um, an hour or an hour and a half beforehand um, to, to make sure that it's digested. Um, and I'll tend to, if I'm doing an event like an Ironman, I'll take out the uh, flax and the chia just because you don't want that much fat because it'll slow the absorption and digestion. Mm. Um, and I'll honestly like try to take out, like if I were to add a protein powder, I wouldn't add it in um, that either because you don't need it for working out. Um, right. But right. yeah, so I'll typically eat that as a post-workout. Um, and then on race day, I'll eat that as a pre. And the night before, do you do the carb load? No, no. Um, I I just eat all the carbs all the time. Right. <laughs> anyway. you're, you said you're eating between like 400 and 700 carbs a day. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, the way that your body works, um, you know, there's published papers on like, yeah, the carb load works, and some people will say it doesn't. I mean, if you've trained your body correctly, you're gonna have. I mean, the whole reason why you do the carb load is to increase your glycogen stores, right? Um, if you if you've trained and eaten correctly during training, you're gonna have the glycogen stores. And if you're doing a multi multi hour event, you're not gonna have enough glycogen in your body to get through that. Regardless, right. you're gonna have to eat during it, like you know a twelve hour event. You're gonna have to eat. Like nobody has that much glycogen. You have that much fat, but not that much glycogen. Right. So as long as you're preparing the same all the way through, that yeah, that makes sense. And you, you don't necessarily have to, especially for the events that you're doing. You're going to burn it off anyways, and going to be consuming carbohydrates and and pick pick me ups throughout the the event as it is. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. I I honestly I've been kind of intrigued about um, endurance events myself, and and wanted to to get into a triathlon in this August, um, but I am definitely motivated to try it again and see if I can get my my sorry ass out on the course and complete uh, <laughs> complete one of those endurance uh, events that's I'm just happy I'm gonna climb a mountain but, and see if I can get that done first well yeah then then you can join me on a triathlon Jason <laughs> hey I think Ironman Whistler isn't that in Canada yeah <laughs> that's close to us it is close by. yeah take it out Iron Man Whistler. All right, we'll put yeah. it on the goal list. Hey, so there's there's a, there's an event that I've been trying to gain traction um, for, and particularly with my wife. It's a so it's a hundred mile race across a frozen lake in Mongolia, wow. and uh, I've actually been to the lake because I've been to Mongolia, and it's pretty rad. And it's it's put on by Rat Race, and so it's but it's actually in their winter, so the temperature is the break even point between Celsius and Fahrenheit. Which I don't know if you guys know what that is. What is it? Uh, Negative forty. My, yeah, oh, minus holy. forty is where it, uh, I, I've had that temperature. I've worked in. That yeah. I've <laughs> <laughs> so I was. I'm trying to get people. One of my buddies. I don't know if you know him, Eric Ditcher. He's a chronic superhuman on Instagram. He's all about it. Like he wants to do it. And I'm like, man, I gotta convince my wife to let me do this event because I would love to do it because I've never heard of a diabetic 
nor a uh, plant-based athlete that has done it. Um, and I was like, that'd be something really cool to do. So, well, um, I'll do it with you, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> I, I would be unreal. A hundred mile running race over a frozen lake river. Yeah. So it's actually, it's actually a hundred mile run, skate, yeah. ski, or um, bike. So you could do this, the fat bike. Yeah. So it's whatever way possible. I would do the running just because that's my thing. Um, yeah. But yeah, you have three days to do it and a hundred miles and freezing temperatures. So at minus 40. Brody, you can come, you can come prepare, you can come to Fort Mac with me, you can prepare. Yeah. So, the little tra- training camp. Training camp. Yeah. <laughs> what, when is that? And look, cause I'm, I'm serious. I'm not, I'm not bullshitting you. What is it called? Yeah. It's the, uh, so I forget, I think it's called the Mongol 100. It's put on by rat race, but um, they usually have it in, I think it's in March. So they only have a certain amount of slots. So 2021 is, I think, sold out already in 2022. Last time I checked, they only had like 30 spots left, but I, I really want to do it. Um, like I said, like part of, part of my whole like thing for Instagram is to show diabetics that they shouldn't be held back by their diagnoses. Um, I've never been, I mean, so it's just one of those things would be really cool to show people like, Hey, like you can literally, you know, go to the frozen, you know, tundra and run a race and survive it and thrive. Well, that's, yeah. that's the whole reason why we started up Diasport is to, uh, to make sure everybody's aware that there's no barriers when you have type one. Yeah. I mean, and it's, it's funny because people will always ask me like, can you do this? Can you do that? It's like, I mean, there's, there's a, I think few people that are as robust as diabetics because it's for, for me, it's not that I don't think, Oh, can I do this? It's just, how do I go about doing this? And when I thought about that trip to Mongolia, like, I was like, okay, how do I get there? How do I do it? I thought about the same thing. How do I keep my insulin cold if I need to, you know, what do I eat It's boom, boom, boom. Like, how do you prepare for it? And like, I mean, I'm sure we've all seen those memes where like you have the two travelers and, you know, you have somebody who doesn't have diabetes with this tiny pack and then somebody that is diabetic has this giant suitcase oh, yeah. full of crap. Like, yeah. I mean, you just prepare for it and you're going to be able to do anything you want. And so, um, yeah, I mean, it's, I think it's, if you, if you would, if you would tell people like, oh, you can do a 24 hour race where it gets down to like 30 degrees Fahrenheit and you're doing water obstacles and diabetic to think you're nuts. So I think doing a frozen, uh, a run over a frozen lake would be even cooler than doing a 24-hour obstacle course race. Agreed. Well, I, I look at, uh, you know, you're looking at preparation. And, you know, C- Curtis, so now he goes back to school. He's eight years old. You know, you, you got other people, other kids are going to say how, how their summers were and, you know, they're, they're learning to ride bikes and all this kind of stuff. And meanwhile, he's, he's got to learn math and what to eat properly. And, you know, he, he had to grow up real fast uh, after his diagnosis. Yep. I think that, that that goes to say for your know, all type uh, type ones, especially you know <clears throat> when you get diagnosed at such a young age, that you got to learn at a young age to essentially keep yourself alive and you know learning all the stuff and you know learning how to do math uh, at an early age and you know how to count carbs and what to eat and everything. You know, it just it, it just makes you grow that much more to knock down those barriers so that. You know, you can go out there and you compete every uh, compete every day uh, in in anything that you love. It doesn't matter if it's in sports or in school or anything. Um, you know, that's just it, you, you got to take that extra time and prep to uh, for the end goal. Basically, is is what you're learning at a very very young age. 
Yeah, I agree. I mean, it's, it, what's funny about it is there's there's some adults that don't learn the skills that your son's learning, right? Exactly. <laughs> you know, it makes you grow. It makes you grow up fast, and you know, there's consequences to your actions. And unfortunately, it's life or death in our situation. But you kind of, I think it, it sort of desensitizes you to certain things, so you can look past obstacles. I mean, it's, that's what it's done to me. Like I said, I mean, you know, I, I I literally signed up for a two and a half mile swim race. That's one third of it before I even knew how to swim because, like, I'll figure it out. You know, I've done, I've done crazier stuff, right. As far as traveling places and dealing with a disease that, you know, you literally have the power in your hand to kill yourself with if you overdose it. So yeah. um, it, it makes you a more resilient person, I think. Yes. And, and that is the key to life is resiliency. And, yeah. and I'm glad you, I'm glad you said it that way. Cause I, pre, that's how I preach it is we learn a lot of things that people don't learn until they're in their thirties right they they learn that we're we're not immortal and that uh it can end real quick and to live life to the fullest and to go after your goals like a like an animal yeah no i can heavily relate to that and i think a lot of most diabetics can relate to that on that level of uh um resiliency for sure yeah yeah, I think it, it makes you a little bit more, um, uh, I don't know, like imaginative or um, increases ingenuity. I remember this one time I was in Ohio on a dig when I was doing archaeology and um, my pump had pulled out and I didn't have any, I was on a Medtronic at the time, so I was wired in and I didn't have any way of giving myself insulin because my pump was out and I didn't have any infusion sites or anything like that. So they called me MacGyver after this because I had taken... Um, a the the needle that you would inject in the site with and then had calibrated it and everything to give myself insulin just to keep me keep me going for that so um yeah, <laughs> yeah. it just makes you think okay i i got it if i don't do this i'm gonna die so i need to solve this issue right now <laughs> yeah yeah quite literally how, how long did you have to do that for um, it was just until we got back to the site, so probably about an hour. Okay, that day. Okay. Yeah, that day. Yeah. But I've done crazy stuff too. Like I've used staples to prick my finger when I'm out of lancets or forgot it. Like I've done all sorts of ridiculous stuff. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Relatable. Yeah. All, yeah. All, that was pre-CGM days too. Yeah. yeah, exactly. At some point, all us diabetics have to MacGyver. Stuff. Yep. For sure. <laughs> that's funny yeah it's funny so the, the the company that i was mentioning before open insulin like i as soon as i read their mission statement i was like these these guys have to be like diabetics they're not just you know chance people who are trying to make insulin available for people and yeah like a couple of their main researchers are uh are, are type 1 diabetics and i was like figures like we would be trying to biohack our bodies <laughs> and can you talk more about that i'm glad you brought that up about yeah so uh, open insulin yeah, so that's a. I honestly just stumbled upon them yesterday. Um, uh, they are a group of you know quote unquote biohackers out of Silicon Valley. Um, they have two labs in San Francisco, and I think the other one's in Baltimore. But their whole goal is to fight against the you know basically the price gouging in the states here, and even you know the fact that we shouldn't have to pay for insulin because if we don't have it, we die. Um, you know, it's just a it's a life saving thing, and the fact that the patent was sold for a dollar. You know, it's just absurd. 
So they're operating and they're trying to, in the same way that the, the guy who made the loop, it's basically an open source. They're trying to make open source insulin so that at some point, and this is my interpretation, like I said, I just found them, but they are trying to grow insulin. So in, insulin in modern days, I guess it's produced by bacterial. Um, it's produced by yeast actually. Um, super interesting, but they'll grow it in, a, in essentially a test tube and then they'll bottle it and put it out into a, a stable liquid and everything. So what this company is trying to do is perfect that art of basically home brewing insulin so that like, you know, if we live near, if we were neighbors, you know, Brody, Jason and myself could get together have a brewing spot for insulin and then we have free insulin essentially you just have a startup fee and you never have to worry about it again um so the whole idea is that these large corporations are essentially just harvesting insulin they're growing it. why can't normal people do that since it's something that we need so it would be similar to having like you know homebrew beard kit well here's your homebrew insulin kit and i mean it sounds a lot easier than it actually is because you have concentrations like you know the, the insulin you know you know what 10 units of insulin does to your body homebrew like kind of like with alcohol you could have a higher alcohol right they're, they're all different so they need to perfect this sort of titration of the uh of the growth of it but that's what they're working on right now is they're trying to perfect this thing so that it's going to get to a point where we don't need to go to a pharmacy necessarily and pay these exorbitant prices and even more so think about third world countries that they can't afford anything let alone you know insulin and nobody cares like there's no market so why am i going to give this place insulin you know give these people insulin so then you can go in there with like doctors without borders sort of situations and have homebrew stations there for you know di diabetic kids and or adults across the world that that need it um and have like almost zero access to it so that's that's what it looks like their mission statement is and like i would you know recommend any type ones to go out there and just check them out and i i was texting with them on instagram pretty much all day today um asking them you know what their timeline is from you know inception to going out there and they have like a google drive and stuff but it, it seems I, I was wondering about this exact thing when covid hit so like what if we can't get insulin wait i should be able to grow because i know it's bacterially mediated so um they're trying to crack that code for all of us that aren't biochemists out there so it's mm -hmm. it's super cool i would check it out and their their handle is it's just at open insulin on Instagram and they have like a Twitter and an email and a website, but I would, I would recommend just checking them out. Um, they're fighting the good fight for diabetics. That's awesome. I'm going to add them up right now. <laughs> I, I even asked them, so there's a, you know, there's a whole nother field. This is way off topic and I apologize, but there's a longevity fields. I don't know how much you guys have ever been into it, but there's um there's a, a whole bunch of people that are going into longevity basically treating aging as a disease um when you look at it analytically it actually is um but they're trying to reverse things and one of the things that they've noticed is you can actually produce stem cells in a lab and then inject them and i asked them too i was like you guys do anything with this because i know that they've started to do that with like uh, eyesight and regeneration of eyesight um and then so if you think about that like you can you know biohack insulin Maybe you could biohack like sort of like stem cells and go with the anti-aging and then maybe that's our, our route to a cure for beta cell regeneration and stuff like that too. But I, I know they, uh, right now they're, they've been doing that up here uh, with, with using stem cells uh, with implants of the University of Alberta. Um, one of our guests, awesome. one of our previous guests, Anissa Gamble, that was, uh, that was part of her research, um, I believe, when she was up uh, doing her stuff at, uh, at the University of Alberta. 
uh, do an islet cell transplants with stem cells. Um, is what yeah, they, yeah. It has been what they were doing. Um, and there's a big team over at the University of British Columbia as well that that, uh, that has been working on that too. So, um, yeah, it's it's yeah definitely a long, a long way. We've come a long way, uh, and still a little ways to go, but definitely a lot closer than what they, what they were, you know. Uh, I guess almost a hundred years now since uh, since the discovery of insulin, right? So, yep, perfect. So yeah, so it's been great talking to Matt uh, Matt today um, with his adventures. Um, it sounds like Brody, you're you're signing up to go to Mongolia, are you? Yeah. I have the application filled out. I'm just creating my password right now. Mongol 100 2022 is in movement. Awesome. Well, Matt, thanks for joining us. It's been a great conversation. One of our past guests that we had at our, our hockey camp last year that just completed her, her doctorate, uh, Desi Zahareva. She's an MMA fighter from up here. She, she won a bronze medal for Team Canada in, I want to say it was, uh, she's a mixed martial artist but she's now studying she's she's gone on to she's at stanford right now so and she uh, and that was her thing she she studies uh diabetes and exercise so we we do have a lot of we have had a lot of guests that uh have jumped into the um uh, say the more science background with with type one uh that we're seeing which is which is totally awesome because you know if it's if there's anybody that's gonna that's going to conquer type one. It's going to be the type ones themselves that come up with that, come up with that cure. Right. So uh, it's definitely great to see. Yeah. A quick one for me. Just thanks, Matt. Thanks for coming. Yeah. I've, how we met Matt was I reached out to Matt on Instagram and then a week and a half later, he responded keen to go and we booked a time and here we are and we blasted it out and we made a new pal and a new racing buddy, the Mongol 100. <laughs> that is, it's wicked. Yeah, thanks for hopping on with us, Matt. Yeah, hey, it's my pleasure, guys. Anytime. Um, I just want to thank you guys for all you're doing to raise awareness and everything. I think it's really, it's really rad um, to be able to talk about things like this and to, you know, hopefully, you know, something that we talked about people didn't know before and they can learn something new. And, you know, if, if you have any feedback from people, I would love to hear it um you know just to learn something new myself on how people deal with it or any new up-and-coming science trends but i really appreciate appreciate you guys uh giving me the time to speak with you oh yeah oh thanks yeah, thanks for joining us uh yeah check out our feeds uh i know uh i i do post some stuff that that comes up here that we're seeing uh above the border so uh definitely uh definitely keep that in mind and if we do uh we do uh put our sports camps down in the u.s uh We'll definitely be looking you up for some uh, uh, for some counselors. Absolutely, that sounds awesome. <laughs> awesome. All right, uh, so that's that's been this week's episode of uh, Die Sports Behind the Pump uh, with Jason and Brody. Uh, we'll talk to everybody next time. Cheers. Cheers.